Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. I'm ready to say you are loved and you are sent, and we can just call it a morning. <clears throat> you ever have those mornings? I never do, but where you just wake up and you're just like, oh, I'm just not feeling it. Uh, and coming to church this morning, it was just one of those mornings. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it was like we had some warm weather and then it was basically snowing outside. And I don't know what it was, but this morning it was just kind of one of those like, eh, I'm not feeling it. But it's amazing, the, the healing balm of just being able to worship the Lord and being able to worship the Lord with his people. So I'm thankful um, for that time. Uh, so I might preach now for an hour and a half. I don't know. Uh, so if you're interested in the masters, uh, sorry, you'll miss it. <laughs> you're just going to be here. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Turn to John chapter 17 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one somewhere right around you. Grab that. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to walk out of here with a copy of God's Word this morning. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, uh, on a daily basis, in some way, form, or fashion, use one of these? Yeah? All right. For most of you, then, I don't want to drive with you, because apparently you don't use your rear view mirror or your side view. There's only a couple of hands that went up, but uh, really for all of us, every day in some way, shape, or form, we use a mirror, whether it's in our rooms as we're getting ready, as we're driving in a car, whatever that might look like, in some way, shape, or form, we use mirrors. And, and really, at the core of it, a mirror, very simply, uh, just gives an accurate, a good mirror, gives an accurate reflection of whatever it is pointed at. A good mirror gives a clear reflection, a true representation of whatever it is pointed at. And in many ways, our lives as Jesus followers are to be mirrors. The longer we walk with Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the more our lives ought to reflect the image and the character of Jesus. The more our lives ought to reflect what Jesus loves and we ought to hate what Jesus hates. In many ways, we as Jesus followers are to be mirrors to the broken and hurting world around us, a reflection, a true representation of Jesus to the world. I think maybe a good number of us in here, we realize that, we know that, but, but in our text today, it's going to help us all wrestle with, is this actually happening in my life? I know that I'm supposed to represent Jesus and that the closer I get to him, the more I will grow in Christ's likeness, but is this actually happening in my life? We're going to walk through John 17 together this morning. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, because in, in the Old Testament, in the system that God had set up, the high priests would go uh, before the Lord on behalf of the people. They would represent the people before the Lord. They would represent the people as they brought sacrifices to God. And, and, and in that way, Jesus here is representing us as disciples, us as people who've put our faith and trust in him. And he prays this on our behalf. He prays this for us as Jesus followers. He prays this over us as Jesus followers this morning. And so we're going to walk through this high priestly prayer of Jesus. And as we do, we're just going to wrestle with this question. Do my desires reflect the desires of Jesus? Do my desires mirror the desires of Jesus? More and more and more can I say in my life that my desires reflect the desires of Jesus. And, and what we'll see as we walk through John 17 is Jesus in this prayer is going to ask his father for five different things. 
And I would tell us this morning that in those five requests that he makes to his father, it reveals a lot about what Jesus desires, what is near and dear and close to the heart of our Savior, Jesus. And so we're going to walk through these requests together. And as we do, we're going to, for each request Jesus makes, we're going to ask five different heart check questions for us. Do my desires reflect the desires of Jesus? We're going to walk through this prayer together. We're going to see Jesus ask five things of the Father, and we're going to wrestle with five heart check questions as we do. And so uh, for John 17, this is a dense passage. Many of the guys that I studied this week, uh, they would preach through this in no less than three weeks. Uh, A pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones took over 30 weeks just in John 17. Uh, And you thought Acts was bad last year. (laughs) 30 weeks in one chapter. This is dense. There's so much here. And so we're going to do a flyby this morning. There's going to be many things you're probably going to go, oh, I want more, I want more. And we just don't have time. And so we're going to fly through this passage, put your seatbelts on, but I'm trusting and believing God is going to do a great work as we walk through this high priestly prayer together. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to seek the Lord together in his word. Father, oh, I thank you for just a time of... Uh, worship together with your body, worship through singing, and um, just the the healing balm that is to my soul, the, the healing balm that is to our soul, God. And it's a good reminder for me as we gather here, it's not just people in a room who play some music, who have a speaker that gets up and then we leave. God, your presence is what distinguishes us. Your presence is what fills this place. Your presence and your spirit here is what makes this different than just another gathering we could go to. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, as your presence uh, just works through the preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, do a great work in our hearts and reveal to us the ways in which our desires maybe aren't reflecting the desires of Jesus. And so, God, just give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, John 17, let's jump in, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so here we see Jesus is still gathered together with his disciples in the upper room, and he just gets done this incredible uh, message in in chapters 14, 15, and and 16, and he's unpacking these things for his disciples. And and truly, some of the last words that he gives to his disciples before he leaves the upper room and the suffering of the cross and the suffering of his trials begin, these are essentially his last words with his disciples. And so Jesus When he had finished speaking these words that we see in chapters 14, 15, 16, he lifts up his eyes to the Lord and he begins to pray. And he he starts his prayer there in verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. And it's interesting, if you look at the Gospel of John, this phrase is used often, but in the beginning of the book, Jesus consistently says, my hour has not yet come. Some of my favorite miracles of Jesus are when he has angry mobs around him and uh, the Gospel of John tells us they're ready to stone him and all of a sudden he's just gone and he says, hey, my hour has not yet come and just disappears. 
I mean, can you imagine if all of you decided, like, it's time DJ's done, and you just came after me? There's no way that I could just disappear from the crowd. That's amazing. And our Savior does that multiple times and says, my hour has not yet come, but now the hour has come. And the hour has come for what? The hour has come for him to complete and finish the work that his Father has given him to do. And the work that Jesus came to do is he, he came to live, but he actually came to die. He came to die a gruesome, bloody death on a cross. And so he says, my hour has come. And, and right after that, we see the first request Jesus makes in this prayer in verse 1. He says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. He, he asks, God, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And then look at verse 2. Why does he ask this? He says, since or because you have given him authority over all flesh or all people. Okay, what's that authority for? Look at the rest of verse 2, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, so what is eternal life? He answers in verse 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so here Jesus asks the Father, God, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you because you've given your Son all authority over all people to give to salvation to those whom surrender their lives to Jesus. And, and this is salvation. This is eternal life that they may know you. How amazing is it that we don't have to wait till we pass from this life to the next for eternal life to start? It starts now because eternal life is to know God and God has given us the gift now that we might know him. Jesus prays and he asks God, God glorify your son. What's near and dear and close to the heart of Jesus, what this request reveals to us about Jesus' desire is that Jesus is passionate about God's glory. You'll notice in verse one when he prays, Father glorify your son, why? So that the son may glorify you. Now on the surface, for Jesus to pray that God might glorify him, that he might glorify God might seem simple enough, but think about what this means. The path for Jesus to glorify the Father is straight through the cross. And Jesus knows it. He knows that in asking God the Father to glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify the Father, what lies in front of him is a path of suffering, a path of shame, a path of hurt, a path of pain, a path of a cross. But Jesus is so consumed with seeing God's glory lifted high that he says, if it cost me a cross, so be it. If God's going to get glory through me being abandoned by those who are closest to me, then so be it. I want to see God's glory, whatever it takes. And it's at this point we have our first heart check question. Five heart check questions for us. Number one is this. Am I willing to ask God to glorify himself in my life no matter what? Am I willing to ask God to glorify himself in my life, no matter what? Am I, am I willing to ask God to make much of himself, no matter what comes my way? Am I willing to seek God's glory when he gives? And for some of us, we might go, oh, that's not what I was expecting to hear first, but I think sometimes it can actually be just as difficult to glorify God in seasons of blessing than it can be in seasons of loss. Why? Because in seasons of blessing, sometimes our eyes get off of the Lord and they get onto the things that are going up and to the right. 
And we go, I got to protect this. This is mine. And I worked hard for this. And I have this. And I need to figure out how can I build some walls around this so that I can. And who's at the center of it? Me. I. Mine. Sometimes it's in seasons when things are up and to the right that it can be just as difficult to say, God, this is not about me. This is about you and your glory. And if I have more opportunity to glorify you in seasons of blessing, then so be it. But I just want your glory. But we know that God doesn't only give, but Scripture tells us God also takes away. Am I willing to seek God's glory when he takes away? What do we do if God will get more glory through a loss than he will through a gain? What do we do if if God will get more glory through suffering than through comfort? Through me living open-handedly and not closed-fisted? through laying my life down, through sacrifice. Maybe it's sacrifice of a job promotion and, and you, everybody around you says, yes, take the promotion. Are you crazy? And you know in your spirit, you're going, I, I think that's actually gonna give me less opportunity to glorify the Lord in how he's called me to glorify him. And so I'm gonna have to say no to what looks really good on earth because I care way more about the glory of my God than I do about the glory of my name in a promotion. Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Am I willing to ask God, God, glorify yourself no matter what. When you give, when you take away, when things are up and to the right and when it's the opposite. In all seasons, am I willing to ask God, God, glorify yourself? This is exactly what Jesus does. This is Jesus' desire, God's glory. And he knows The path for him is through the cross and he says, bring it on because God will get glory. Five heart check questions for us this morning. Number one, am I willing to ask God to glorify himself in my life no matter what? And I think knowing what lies ahead for Jesus, we would expect as this prayer continues that that he would continue to pray for himself and and maybe strength and and endurance and, and God sustain me through this time. But instead, the rest of the prayer, Jesus shifts the focus to praying for his followers, his disciples. And so let's see as the prayer continues how Jesus now prays for those who've surrendered their life to him. John 17, pick it up in verse six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Okay, what's Jesus saying here? Verses 6 through 10, Jesus is, is, in its most simplest form, he's explaining that he has manifested, or he's made known his name to those whom he was given, to those who've followed Jesus. He made known who God was, and he made known the words of God to his followers. And Jesus makes it clear that these people have come to believe that, that yes, Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the sent one of God. And so Jesus makes that clear here in the prayer. But then he's going to continue and he's going to make these requests before the Father. Pick it up in verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. 
Here we go. Request, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here Jesus makes his request to his father. And we see these requests in verses 11 and 15. Jesus prays that his followers may be secure in something and that they may be secure from something. And in verse 11, we see this prayer for security in something. Jesus prays that the father may keep his followers in, her na- in his name. The idea here is to protect them to keep them secure. How amazing is it that, that our security as Jesus followers, as believers, not, it rests not on our works, it rests not on our earnings, it rests not on our successes, and it rests not on our failures. It rests on the strong and mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And then in verse 15, he prays that God the Father would keep his followers from the evil one. Jesus knows that his disciples live in a world where evil is at work and evil forces will do whatever they can to take Jesus' followers out. And so Jesus prays for his followers. He prays security against the evil forces at work. A security based in the power and the the might of the name of God. A security so strong and so powerful that the forces of evil can't overcome it. And it's at this point we come to heart check number two. Five heart check questions for us. Heart check number two. Am I resting in the anchor of the name of God for my security? Am I resting in the anchor of the name of God for my security? Jesus prays here that his followers would rest secure in the name of God. As you think about your relationship with with the Lord, as you think about walking with the Lord, does the word rest come to mind? And, and if not, I would encourage you, this is, that, that is not what God has designed for us in our relationship with him. He is after our rest, our security, our peace. So much so that he says, all the forces of evil can come against you and nothing can change your security in the name and power of our great God. Because we know evil forces of this world will come after Jesus' followers. The enemy hates you. The world hates you. We saw that in John 17, 14. He says, I have given them my word, and as the world has hated me, so they hate you. I've heard it said that for Christians, this life is not a playground, but a battleground. But the amazing truth of Jesus' prayer is that in the midst of all the evil, in the midst of all the attacks, we have nothing to fear. Because we will stumble, we will fall, we will give into temptation, we will sin, we will fall short, but we are kept secure through God's power, through God's might, through God's strength, not my own. And if you have any doubts of this, a great example of this would be the life of Peter. We're going to see here in Luke 22, Jesus says this of Peter. Right before this, uh, Jesus tells Peter, hey, uh, 
we're going we're gonna to start this thing called the church, and you're actually going to be a instrumental. You're going to be a leader in the early church. And so Jesus tells Peter this, but then Jesus also tells Peter this. Simon, Simon. He would go by Simon sometimes too, but this is Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan came after Peter. And Peter did something that, that many of us would look at and think, how can he recover from this? Uh, will God take him back? See, see, hours after Jesus says this in Luke, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, all within seeing distance of where Jesus was to the point where he calls curses down on himself and says, I do not know that man. And, and you look at that and think, can Peter come back from that? I mean, if anybody has no hope, it's got to be Peter. John Piper says this. He says, only hours after being told that he would be a leader in Christ's kingdom, Peter's going to crash. From the heights of joyful anticipation and confidence to the pit of failure and bitter, and bitter weeping in one night. But take heart, Jesus prays for his own and will never let Satan destroy our faith and our hope. Even for Peter, even the guy who denied Jesus time and time and time again, his faith was not destroyed. Because his faith was resting in the anchor of the strong name of Jesus. And when, when storms hit, when trials came, when, when sin, when he chose sin over God, it didn't move the anchor. Jesus still held him secure in his grasp. Are we resting in the power of the name of God? Or are we living in fear? As you look at your life, is it just filled with anxiety? Is it filled with doubt? Is it filled with worry? If so, remember this morning, our anchor is not in circumstances. Our anchor is not in this world. Our anchor rests in the unchangeable, strong, mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be anxious about because our God's got it. And my faith and my hope rests in him. Five heart check questions for us this morning. The second one is, is am I resting in the anchor of the name of God for my security? Jesus desires our security, a security found in him. Now, I think sometimes what happens when we think security, uh, we often think of withdrawing and, and putting some boundaries and, and walls up around me and, and I'm just gonna pull back and, and then I'll be secure. And we're gonna see as Jesus continues to pray, it's actually quite the opposite. He's gonna make his third request here. Pick it up in verse 16 of John 17. It says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Here's the third request. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus here asks for our sanctification. And uh, we need to stop and just kind of talk about that word a little bit. I think it's a churchy word. Uh, probably not many of you walk around your office or your home or wherever you might be and, and I doubt that word comes up very consistently. Uh, and so what is that? What is sanctification? 
The word literally means to be set apart or to be set apart for God's service. But the word carries with it the idea of being made holy, uh, being formed more and more into Christ's image. And so as we see the word sanctify, what ought to come to mind is set apart for the service of God and a continual growing in my life to look more and more and more like Jesus. To be sanctified is to look more like Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, God does a work within us, a work of purifying, of cleansing, and of purging. And this work is designed to fit us for the title which has already been put on us as a son or daughter of the Most High God. And so Jesus prays for God to sanctify us. And when he does, it's a prayer that we might be set apart for God's service and that we may serve him as he purifies us. And the result of this is sandwiched right there in verse 18. The result of my sanctification, the result of my growing in Christ likeness, it's greater opportunities for the mission of God. Notice right there within the prayer in in verse 18, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have, what's that word? So I have, what's the word? Sent. So I have sent them into the world. Jesus is making it clear that the result of our growth in Christ is greater mission for Christ, greater kingdom impact. Five heart check questions for us this morning. Here's the third. Am I being transformed by God for the mission of God? Five heart check questions. Number three, am I being transformed by God for the mission of God? As God is transforming us and and molding us and shaping us more and more into his image, there ought to be increased opportunity for the spread of the gospel in our life. And, And I think oftentimes when we think of our sanctification or being made holy, it can sometimes just be this image that comes to mind of, of just me and God, me and God. And God's just changing me, changing me. And, and, and the image we get here is, is very different. And I want to think of it like uh, a light bulb. Uh, and, and we know a light bulb, as soon as you plug it into or, or twist it into a lamp and you turn that lamp on, uh, the light bulb will turn on and light will shine out of that light bulb. And, and if we think of ourselves as a light bulb and, and when we surrender our lives to Jesus, Scripture says we are in Christ. You think of a lamp, you screw that bulb into the lamp, and now we are in Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing can shake that as we just saw. My anchor rests in God. And that lamp turns on, but when that lamp turns on, I mean, this is still a pretty nasty light bulb. And oftentimes for us, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're not just instantly made to be like, I just look like Jesus now. Uh, we're We're still pretty messed up. And now this process begins of being made more and more and more into Christ-likeness, of, of looking more and more like Jesus. And, and, and as that happens, what happens is the Spirit of God, through the Word of God and the people of God, begins to remove the dirt from the light bulb. And he, and he, he takes away some of the rough edges and he purifies the, the light and he, he starts removing some sin from us. And, and as he does, some of this darkness is taken away. And guess what happens? The light's going to shine brighter. And as the Spirit of God continues to work and remove more of the darkness in the light, The light doesn't have to try really hard to just be like, oh, I want to shine brighter. The light is within the light bulb. 
But it's the purifying work on the outside that begins to let the light shine forth from the inside. The light doesn't have to take classes on how to shine really bright. He doesn't have to find a new method on, oh man, if I could just increase from 75 watts to 100 watts, then I'll have it. As he's purified, as the dirt is cleansed, the light will shine bright. For you and I, as we walk with Jesus and as he sanctifies us, as he forms us more and more and more into his image, we will begin to shine forth the light of the gospel. And we don't need an evangelism class to teach us how to do it. We don't need more outreach programs. The outreach program here is us, the people of God being transformed by the Spirit of God for the mission of God. Five heart check questions for us. Number three, am I being transformed by God for the mission of God? Are you seeing increased opportunity in your life for the mission of God? And if not, I would challenge you, wrestle with some heart questions today and ask the Lord to bring the increase for his mission, for his kingdom, and for his glory. Five heart check questions. The third one, am I being transformed by God for the mission of God? Jesus continues in his prayer here. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. And and as he does, I think the request he makes here is is really a breath of fresh air for us in today's world of division and sides. And uh, I go with this person and I go with this person. And uh, Jesus prays a really beautiful prayer for his followers. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given them, that that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What's the word that jumps out as we read that? Anybody? Anybody? One. It's all over. It's all over this text. Jesus is praying very clearly for our oneness, for our unity, over and over and over again. And this is a special kind of oneness. This is not just an institutional oneness. This is not just unity because we go to the same church or because I'm a member here or there. This is not just surface level unity. Jesus is asking something much deeper. And he makes this clear as he equates the unity he prays for for us with the unity he has with the Father and the Father has with him. Jesus says it this way, May they be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus is saying this unity is reflective and shaped by the Trinity. And so uh, let's just unpack the Trinity really fast. Said no one ever. (laughs) But there are some things we need to know. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, while they're distinct, they're one. It's one in three persons, but three in one. And I don't understand how this works. Uh, Pastor Corey fully comprehends it. And so if you have any questions, find him after the service. He can help you out with that. But in the Trinity, they have different roles. They carry out different things, but they exist in perfect love and in perfect unity. This unity flows out of their very nature. This is to be our unity and oneness as Jesus followers. 
We've been made new creations. We're in Christ, and we have different roles. God has gifted us in different ways. But there's to be a oneness, a bond in the family of God. This radically changes the way we view each other and the way we view the unity that Jesus is after here. Five heart check questions for us. Number four, am I actively contributing to the unity of the church? Five heart check questions for us. Number four, am I actively contributing to the unity of the church? We see here Jesus' clear desire for his followers, for the church, is oneness, is unity. Just like Jesus and the Father are one, so his followers may be one together. And I think we need to wrestle with, not am I just kind of a, a, a bystander, not am I just kind of passively sitting on the sideline, but, but how are we actively contributing to the unity of the church. And so uh, really quickly, I want to talk through three ways that you and I can actively contribute to the unity of the church. Three ways that you and I can actively contribute to the unity of the church. And number one is this, pray together. Pray together. And each of these will have an element of together in them. Because unity can be pretty easy when it's just me. <laughs> but that's not what God prays for. He prays oneness for his people. And so as we pray, grab other people and pray together. Seek the Lord and pray specifically for oneness and unity. And we've, we've got to be dependent on the Lord for this to happen. This isn't something we can just manufacture because if it's man-made, it will get destroyed. But if it's God-made and it's God-protected, nothing, no force of evil can destroy the oneness that we have together through the Spirit of Jesus. And we can protect that by praying together for oneness and unity in the church. Three ways we can actively contribute to the unity of the church. Number one, pray together. Number two is this, serve together. Serve together. And we, we looked at Jesus as the suffering servant last week. And I can't think of too many examples of people who are serving one another who are laying down their life for one another, who are doing what Jesus did by getting on his knees, looking up at his disciples, picking up their feet and cleaning their feet. I can't think of too many times where you say, like, I hate that guy. You want unity in the church? You want to actively contribute to unity in the church? Serve together. Scripture is really clear that he's given each of us, God has given each of us spiritual gifts. God has given us gifts through his spirit that we can use to bless those in the body. And that can happen on Sunday morning. I would encourage you it happens in an even greater way in small group. And so if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. You're robbing other people of the gifts that God has given you and the blessing you could be to them as you lay your life down and serve them. Get in community and serve together. Scripture's really clear. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to do the same. Serve together. Three ways I can actively contribute to the unity of the church. Pray together, serve together, and then finally go together. Go together. I would argue many church splits have come because of the result of a church turning inward instead of looking outward. I think many church splits, not all, 
There's a lot of different stories, but, but there's many examples of church splits that have happened as the church begins to only think about these four walls and nobody else. And, and that's when infighting starts and that's when um, um, talking about each other behind each other's back and, and uh, we stop trusting each other and we get focused on my thing and, and that's their thing and, and how dare you come into my territory, that's my thing. And as churches turn inward, there's a lot of disunity and division that can happen. And so go together. Live on mission together. Look for ways to share the gospel together. Keep our eyes outward and upward. And as we do, God will protect the unity of this church. Three ways that I can actively contribute to the unity of the church. Pray together, serve together, and go together. Am I actively contributing to the unity of the church? And as we continue in our text, we're going to finish John 17 here. After this beautiful prayer for unity and oneness, Jesus continues to his last request for us. And so let's jump back in verse 24. Jesus says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and I know these Uh, And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the world with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so we see here Jesus requesting, asking the Father that we may be with him to see his glory. Jesus' desire is that his people may be with him forever in eternity. How amazing is it to think That Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, he desires in in his last moments on earth, knowing that suffering is ahead of him, what is he asking for? He's asking for you and me to be with him forever for eternity. That we may gaze upon him and share in his glory. We see here Jesus' last request for us, his desire for us to be with him forever. And we come here to our final heart check question. Five heart check questions. Number five is this. Am I deeply longing to be home with Jesus forever? Five heart check questions. Number five, am I deeply longing to be home with Jesus forever? How many of you this morning would consider yourselves a homebody? Anybody just love being home? Yeah, don't. Yeah, okay. I'm not much of a homebody, uh, but there are definitely times where I've been away from home for a while. And I think we can all relate to this, where you start to get that feeling of, I just want to be in my own bed. I just want to be in my own room. I want to make coffee the way that I make coffee. I want to have my food. I just want to be Home, and there's this longing, this desire inside of us to just be home. And in some way, shape, or form, I think all of us can relate to that. That feeling, that desire, that longing in our chest, that's what we're talking about here. Do I have that kind of longing to just be home, but when I say home, do I think of being with Jesus forever? Do I get the same kind of longing in my chest when I think about heaven as when I think about my earthly home? 
Or, or, or maybe we're just getting so comfortable down here that we forget this world is not our home. The reality is when you and I begin to live today in light of the fact that this is not my home, but that that is my home with Jesus forever, it changes the way we live here on earth. It changes what we view as important. When we see ourselves as strangers in the world, as exiles, as 1 Peter says, it resizes things in life. It reminds me of what's important and what's not. It keeps in front of me that, that when I get to eternity with Jesus forever, I won't be thinking about how comfortable I was on earth. I won't be thinking about how much I disliked that coworker or maybe that family member or wh- whoever that might be. I won't be thinking about, I just wish that I got that new house or that new car or this thing or that thing. I won't be thinking about if my home was up to par with the Gaines' standard of excellence. I will be gazing on the glory of Jesus and I will be doing that with the people who I had a chance to impact for the kingdom in this life. In other words, when we start living with the idea and the reality that that is my home and this is not my home, it reminds me that what's actually important is is simply this, love God and love people. All the rest of it we can't take with us but we will be with God forever and we will be with other followers of Jesus forever. And so for us to be able to devote my life to loving God and loving people. And as we do, that will increase our longing and our desire to just go be home with Jesus forever. Five heart check questions for us this morning from the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Are we seeking God's glory no matter what? Are we resting in the anchor of the name of God for my security? Are we being transformed not just for transformation's sake, but for the sake of mission and greater gospel impact? Are we being actively seeking, am I actively seeking ways to contribute to the unity of the church? And am I deeply longing to be home with Jesus forever. The question for us to wrestle with today is, do my desires reflect the desires of Jesus? Do my desires reflect the desires of Jesus? And as we continue to think on this and dwell on this this morning, we're going to move and shift into a time of communion. And so if you're serving communion, you can go ahead and head to the back this morning, and as they do, we're going to just begin to move into a time of reflection on these questions. We're going to begin to move into a time of asking the Lord, God, make it clear where my desires do not reflect your desires. We're going to leave these questions on the screen, and you're going to see at the top just a really simple prayer. And I would encourage you during the next few minutes as we're having a chance to take communion together as that's being passed out and we'll have some, some moments of just quiet where we can seek the Lord, just pray this really simple prayer. God, make the, my desires reflect your desires. Make my desires reflect your desires. And wrestle through these questions. Ask God, God, where, where am I off? Where are my desires wanting something that's maybe sinful or maybe that's not even bad, but it's just pulling me away from you? God, make that clear so that more and more and more my desires reflect the desires of Jesus. 
And so I want to pray for us as I do. The ushers will come, and I would just encourage you for communion. There's two cups there, and if you need gluten-free options, there's some of those in the middle of the communion trays. But we're going to continue just in a time of reflection, asking God to make it clear where our desires are not reflecting his. And so let me pray for us as we do. The ushers will come, and we'll get ready for a time of communion together. Father, we just come before you now, and God, I pray that in the next few minutes of just kind of quiet and silence, you would reveal to us, God, that you would make it clear where my desires just don't reflect your desires. God, as as Jesus followers, you have called us to, to be these mirrors to the world that get to reflect Jesus, that get to reflect the love and mercy and goodness and grace of our great King Jesus. God, show us where our desires, where our wants, where our hearts, where our lives are just off on that, God. And would we just turn from those things today? And so in the next few moments, we have time just to reflect, God, make those things clear to us. We pray that you would do that now in Jesus' name.